Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Happy New Year's, g'day, and welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. I had a little bit of a break at the end of last year. Now we're back, just in time for the return of the UFC. So that's what today is all about. Gonna jump into the UFC Vegas 67 card, first card of 2023. And unlike last year, I'm gonna be keeping track this year. So we're gonna keep track of the record, uh, head-to-head, how many I'm getting correct, how many I'm getting wrong, just add a little bit of accountability into the mix. Now, Australian time, this card is taking place on Sunday, early Sunday, from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. We've had a main event change as well. It was supposed to be Nasadine Amavov up against Kelvin Gastelum, uh, but an injury late in the piece has forced Kelvin out of this one. So we now see Sean Strickland step in on short notice Uh, This bout now not taking place at middleweight, instead at light heavyweight, even though both these guys are middleweights. So Sean Strickland headlines the last card of 2022, headlines the first card of 2023. Pretty incredible effort from Strickland, and for Nasadina Mavov, this is most definitely the biggest fight of his career. As far as the rest of the card, I actually think this is... A pretty underrated card. There are a lot of bangers littered throughout, so it should be fun to go through. What I'm going to do, give a quick preview of each fight, and of course, give my prediction at the end. Do not forget as well, if you enjoy today's podcast, the best way to support not just a sports report is to either follow us on Instagram. You'll be able to see all our posts going up, working on a few things at the moment. And of course, if you follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, you'll be able to see as soon as new UFC content drops. But with that being said, not much else to do now other than get amongst it. So this is UFC Vegas 67 Preview and Predictions. All right, let's sink our teeth into the opening fight of the year, not just this card, uh, first UFC fight of the year. We've got women's flyweight action between Priscilla Cachoeira and a veteran at this point in Sajara Sarge Eubanks. Now, when I looked at the tail of the tape, Sajara Eubanks does have a five centimeter reach advantage. Uh, so that could be handy given that Priscilla Cachoeira mainly likes to strike. She likes to engage in the standup, whereas Eubanks, her strength lays on the mat. So the fact that when they're on the feet, Sajara will have a bit of a reach advantage, that could be something that comes into play throughout the fight. Now Eubanks has a five and five UFC record. She's a 37 year old American training at Nick Catone MMA and Eubanks is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. Eubanks overall professional record stands at seven and seven with three of her wins coming by way of knockout as well as four decisions. Now the key stat from the professional record of Sajari Eubanks is that six 
of her seven pro losses have been by decision. So she is very durable, although the only time Eubanks has been finished was in her last outing against Melissa Gatto. That was December 2021, so it has been over a year, uh, but last time out, Eubanks getting finished by Melissa Gatto. Now, Sajara has lost three of her past four, so she's not exactly entering this fight in a vein of great form. And yeah, first fight in over a year for Sarge. She missed weight in that Gato fight as well. Uh, she does fluctuate Eubanks between women's bantamweight and women's flyweight. So I did find it a bit curious uh, that she's fighting at flyweight again here. And as far as Tapology's world rankings for the flyweight division, uh, Eubanks is ranked 36th worldwide. Now as for the tail of the tape for Priscilla Cachoeira, the Brazilian known as Zombie Girl is on a two-fight win streak with wins in four of her past five. Cachoeira is 34 years old from Rio de Janeiro and she trains at Team Figueiredo. As far as Cachoeira's style, she's a power puncher. She comes in there with very heavy hands and all of her shots have fight-ending intent, no doubt. Just bombs away. When Cachoeira swings, like... She's not there jabbing, looking to just outpoint you. Like when Priscilla Cachoeira swings, she's looking to knock you out. Now, on her UFC debut a couple of years ago, Priscilla actually stepped up to take on Valentina Shevchenko. So she's faced the highest quality that the division has to offer. And throughout Priscilla's tenure in the UFC, she's racked up a 4-4 four four record. So pretty interesting with Sarge 5-5 five five inside the UFC whilst Cachoeira 4-4. Four four. Kind of, even though recent form has been a bit different, they're kind of in similar spots as far as their overall UFC journey. Now, for Priscilla Cachoeira, she will be chasing her third straight win after back-to-back -back victories. She had a fight-of-the-night win over Ji Yun Kim, which was a decision, uh, but that was a very, very entertaining fight. I had Cachoeira in that one as well, so... I was happy to see that go down. And then in August last year, for the San Diego card, I mean, this was unreal. Priscilla Cachoeira knocks Ariane Lipsky out cold. Right, this wasn't just a, you know, ground and pound or something. Like, she shut Lipsky's lights out. And for Cachoeira, that was a huge win. I had Cachoeira to win that as well. So she's definitely got a fan in me. Uh, but I ended up going decision for that one, and that one did not go to decision. First round finish for Cachoeira, two straight wins, and now she heads into the apex this weekend, hoping to make it three straight. As far as Cachoeira's professional record, that stands at 12 wins and four losses. And the key stat for Cachoeira, she has never been knocked out across 16 professional appearances, so you've got to assume at some point her chin has been tested. No knockout losses for Cachoeira. She has been submitted twice and also lost twice by decision. As far as the victories for Priscilla Cachoeira, seven of her 12 wins have come by way of knockout. Four first round finishes as well. So like I said, Cachoeira, she's not looking to outpoint you. She's looking to knock you out. And stylistically, that makes for a very interesting matchup up against someone like Sajari Eubanks, who definitely has the tools to be able to really snuff out 
that attacking prowess of Priscilla Cachoeira. Now for Priscilla, she absorbs 7.85 significant strikes per minute while she lands 4.68. Now, sometimes the numbers can get skewed from one or two fights. So like maybe the Valentina fight has skewed the numbers. Uh, but for Cachoeira, that is awfully high. It's a bit of a red flag to be absorbing 7.85 significant strikes per minute. That definitely adds up. Um, and yeah, like nearly eight strikes per minute being absorbed. Now, Eubanks isn't someone that I think has the heaviest hands, but Cachoeira's got to be careful because if she goes up against someone like a Manon Fior or Casey O'Neill, something like that, she could definitely find herself in a bit of trouble. Now, as far as the Tapology World Rankings, Priscilla's ranked 43rd worldwide for women's bantamweights, uh, but this one, of course, taking place at flyweight, so... I'd actually believe she'd be closer to the top 15 uh, as far as flyweight goes. And this seems like kind of a test where Cachoeira can pass. Sorry, I need to put my bloody phone on silent. Uh, if Cachoeira can pass the test, then she shows that she's worthy of a ranked opponent, potentially in her next outing. Now, stylistically, I think this one, pretty simple to break down. It's going to be the grappling of Sajara Eubanks up against the striking of Cachoeira. And it's going to come down not only to who can impose their strengths, but also who can kind of just brush up on the area that could be perceived as their weakness. Like, how's Cachoeira going to go in the grappling? Because I'm sure she's been training very hard in those elements, given that she's fighting Sajari Eubanks. And for Eubanks, how's she going to go on the striking? Because if she can start winning the striking battles, that could definitely discourage Priscilla Cachoeira from really chasing that finish. So stylistically, very interested. I think it will be a mix of Sajara trying to impose her grappling, whilst Priscilla Cachoeira, the one thing I've learned with her is that she's out there to achieve the knockout. As far as my prediction for this opener, I've taken Priscilla Cachoeira. I thought she would have been the favorite. I went to chuck a little bit of uh, dosh on it. $3. I don't do American plus 500, all that shit. I'm like, what? Just fucking... In Australia, we just... If it's a dollar twenty odds, you get 20 cents for every dollar you put on. So that's how we do it here. $3. So I don't know, minus fucking whatever. I don't know what that is, but... Priscilla Cachoeira, $3. Big underdog in this fight. I'm taking the underdog, Priscilla Cachoeira, by decision. I do think knockout's a chance, but Sajari Eubanks is durable, and there's a chance that Eubanks spends a decent portion of this fight on top or pressing Cachoeira up against the cage. So I think this one goes the distance, but I like the underdog, Priscilla Cachoeira. Like I said, I picked her in her last two fights. She won. The system, eh, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. I'm going to take Priscilla Cachoeira by decision over Sajari Eubanks. Going to chuck a little bit of money, respectfully, responsibly of course, uh, but those odds are too juicy to deny. Priscilla Cachoeira by decision in the first. Let's now move on to our next fight on the card. Fucking hell. Literally just finished recording that whole fight. <clears throat> Check my phone. 
and Eubanks versus Cachoeira has been scrapped. So it's actually off the card. So forget the last 12 minutes of your life. Um, yeah, we'll come back to that if they rebook it. If they don't, uh, fucking, I'd spend a lot of time studying for that one and whatever, whatever. Damn, my underdog, my juicy underdog, scratched from the card. Uh, it said because Eubanks had some weight cutting issues. What did I say a couple of minutes ago? I thought it was curious that she was back at women's flyweight after missing weight last time out. So we see that go down. Disappointing. But I digress. Let's get into what may now be the opener of the card. We've got flyweight action between Charles Energy Johnson and Jimmy the Brick Flick. Both former LFA champions at 125 pounds, and they match up, interestingly, at kind of different points in their career. Now for Jimmy Flick, it's his first fight in over two years. He's coming out of retirement. So Jimmy Flick decided to retire after just one UFC fight, looked like a very bright prospect. He was on a four-fight win streak, and he still is. Like, he retired, but now he's back. Uh, and Flick earned a contract on Dana White's Contender Series back in 2020. Now, the only UFC fight Flick has had was a first-round submission over Cody Durden, and then he decided to retire. He's been gone, he's been retired, and now Jimmy Flick is back. So that in itself is quite interesting. And opposing Flick this weekend is Charles Johnson. Now, Johnson made his UFC debut in July last year on the London card. Lost by decision up against Mohamed Mokhaev. But considering how Mokhaev's gone against everyone else, Charles Johnson, like, he lost convincingly, but he also held his own in a lot of the grappling exchanges. That fight, to be honest, I remember watching it live. Pretty boring, respectfully. Then, after that loss, Charles returned to action in November in a stop-start split decision up against Zalgas Zumagulov. Now, the amount of stoppages in that, and I don't mean knockouts and submissions, I mean like groin shot, eye poke kind of stoppages, was unbelievable. Every time the match started to get a flow, it would just get stopped. Something would stop it. And to be honest, these guys were putting on a show. When they were fighting, it was highly entertaining. Uh, but yeah, split decision. Too hard to like go back and try and judge that with all the times they actually stopped throughout the fight. But for Charles Johnson, that was a much-needed win. Gets his first UFC victory. And now he steps in to replace Jeff Molina, who was originally going to take on Jimmy Flick. Uh, but Molina, of course... Training under or trained under James Krause at Glory MMA and Fitness. That that whole situation, I don't even know what's going on there, so we'll have to come back to that. Uh, but Jeff Molina out, Charles Johnson in. Now, looking at Charles Johnson's profile, the inner G, he is a 31-year-old American training at Mercy Lago MMA, and Charles is a Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, and like boxing, wrestling, He's got a bit of it all in his arsenal. He's pretty decent in a lot of different areas, is Charles Johnson. Fantastic boxing, like really quality stand-up with his Muay Thai base. And his jiu-jitsu, like it'll be tested in this fight against Jimmy Flick, no doubt. But I think Charles Johnson is pretty strong in most areas. 
with room for improvement. So there is a lot to like about the energy who enters this one with a one and one UFC record. Now for Charles Johnson, his professional record overall stands at 12 and three. And the key stat for the energy, he's never been finished. So all three of his career losses coming by way of decision, very durable, very hard man to finish. And for Charles, 42% of his wins have come by way of knockout or technical knockout. Three first round finishes as well, with stoppages in eight of his 12 wins. So Charles Johnson, he likes to achieve the finish most definitely. There's a variety of ways he can do it as well. Unlike someone like Jimmy Flick, where all kind of signs point towards submission, if they're going to go for a finish, Charles Johnson has a lot of strings to his bow. So there are a lot of different ways he can look to achieve the finish in a fight like this. Speaking of Jimmy Flick, Jimmy the Brick, 32 years old from America, training at Thunderkick Fitness, and Flick is a jiu-jitsu specialist, definitely a bit of a submission artist as well. He can pull a submission out of some strange situations, and everyone was getting really excited about Jimmy Flick initially. His retirement caught a lot of people off guard. Now, Jimmy has a 1-0 UFC record, He's retired, and now, as we've assessed, he is back. Flick's professional record stands at 16 and 5, and the key stat here for Jimmy Flick stands in his loss column. Four of his five losses have been by way of knockout. So, it does seem that Jimmy Flick, his chin isn't the strongest. Four of five losses by way of knockout. That would suggest that there is an opening that Charles Johnson can potentially exploit. Back onto Jimmy Flick though, and the major statistic from his record, 14 of 16 wins by submission. 14 of 16 pro wins by submission. As I mentioned, Jimmy Flick is a submission specialist. That's what he's gonna be looking for, but it is gonna be hard on someone as tall and rangy with long limbs like Charles Johnson. Gonna be a little bit harder to lock up some of these submissions. Now, Jimmy Flick, 14 of 16 wins by submission and eight first round finishes. So 50% of Jimmy Flick's wins have come in the first round. This, no doubt, is gonna be one hell of a fight. And if it ends up being the opener to the card, even better, what a way to set the tone. Now, back to Charles Johnson and energy. He's had a really good level of activity as of late. And he's spoken about keeping the activity level up, have high activity, and that's basically his best way to work through the flyweight rankings. Now, stylistically, it's going to be interesting. Like I mentioned, Charles Johnson, pretty strong in a few different areas. Whilst for Jimmy Flick, he's going to be a submission threat throughout this whole fight. So I think that's stylistically how it's going to go down. It's going to be Charles Johnson trying to stay out of situations where he can get submitted. And look, Johnson, the way he fights, he's going to be looking to put the pain on Jimmy Flick. It's just about making sure he doesn't end up in compromising positions up against the brick. Now, looking at the topology 125 rankings worldwide, Charles Johnson is ranked 22nd in the worldwide flyweight rankings. So just a whisker away you'd have to assume from the UFC's top 15. 
whilst Jimmy Flick, coming out of retirement, still in the top 30, Flick rated 29th in the world with flyweights. Uh, so there's definitely top 15 implications as far as this fight goes. I don't think the winner breaks into the rankings, but I do think the winner sets himself up very nicely to try and push their way into the top 15 this year. As far as my final thoughts, I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. I've always been a fan of watching Jimmy Flick in the short time we got to watch him at UFC level. And for Charles Johnson, well, his level of activity, definitely something to take notice of. And if he wins here, gets another one or two matches throughout the year, Charles Johnson could be one to watch within the division. And that's why I'm going to take energy here. I'm taking Charles Johnson by knockout. I think he's going to come out and just... I think he's going to be patient. I don't think he's going to rush a finish, Charles Johnson. But I do think at some stage, something's going to present itself. And Jimmy Flick, given that four of his five losses have come by way of knockout, that leads me to believe that's probably the best path to victory for someone like Charles Johnson. So that's what I'm going to go with. Hopefully this fight doesn't get bloody scratched. I'm taking Charles Johnson over Jimmy Flick by knockout. We'll see how that one goes on the weekend, but let's keep this train moving nice and quickly, shall we? Charles Johnson by knockout. Let's get amongst the next. All right, next up we have a short notice fight that's been put together between Dan the Determined Argueta, uh, formerly of the Ultimate Fighter fame under Team Ortega, and also trains under Cub Swanson. Uh, Dan Argueta taking on Nick Slick Aguirre. Now, Nick came in on very short notice, replacing Isaac Dolgarian. Now, the original fight, I was really excited to see Argueta versus Dolgarian. Dolgarian, a 5-0 prospect with a lot to like about him. Uh, unfortunately, he's out of this contest. Interestingly enough, Argueta gets another undefeated UFC debutant as an opponent. 7-0, Nick Aguirre. I'm not too sure how to say his name, right? Uh, because Nick's the only one, given the short notice nature, that I haven't watched tape for and studied. Uh, but if you've listened to the podcast before, you'd know that with short notice fights, we do a short notice rapid pick. This won't be the case for the main event. I will still break that one down. But for this one, we're just going to bang the predictions straight out there. Dan Argueta by decision. Uh, now that was my original pick for the Dolgarian fight. Now that we've got Slick Nick stepping in, I am interested because Nick Aguirre has seven wins, no losses, all seven wins stoppages with three knockouts, four submissions. So he is dangerous, but Dan Argueta, he's just kind of, he's been battle tested already. He's shown at LFA level that he can shut down guys who are fight finishes. And yeah, I just think, I think Dan Argueta, he's kind of at that stage in his development where he should win this one and kind of work his way up the featherweight division. So I'm going to take Dan Argueta by decision over Nick Aguirre. Uh, that one short notice. So we'll go, uh, sorry, I'm just pulling up the next fight. We'll go Dan Argueta by decision. That makes it nice and easy. Uh, now let's get into the next fight straight away. Alan Nascimento 
up against Carlos Hernandez in the flyweight division. Now, this should be a fun one. Alan Nascimento training with the likes of Charles Oliveira at shoot box, whilst Carlos Hernandez on a pretty decent winning streak, and he's showing at Dana White's contender series level and UFC level that he can be a bit of a dark horse within this division. I'll start with Alan Nascimento, though. Very high-level jiu-jitsu practitioner, hoping to make moves at 125 pounds. Now, we saw Nascimento debut in Abu Dhabi in October of 2021. Uh, that was the card where Glover ended up winning the title from Blahovich. And it was a loss on UFC debut for Nascimento, lost by decision to Tagir Ulanbekov. Split decision as well. I remember that one because I picked Ulanbekov, so I was happy with that. Uh, but for Nascimento, loses to a high-level opponent first up. Then in May last year, Nascimento takes on Jake Hadley, former Cage Warriors flyweight champion, someone that has a bit of hype about themselves as well. This time, Nascimento got the win, unanimous decision. And I picked Jake Hadley in that fight as well, so I was a bit disappointed to see that go down. Uh, but for Nascimento, he gets his first UFC win, and now he returns to the octagon, looking to make it back-to-back -back victories. Taking on Nascimento this weekend, we have Carlos Hernandez on an eight-fight win streak. Now, we first saw Carlos on Dana White's Contender Series in October 2021. He won by split decision, and then in his UFC debut, interestingly enough, he took on Victor Altamirano, pretty decent fighter. Both of them were fresh off Contender Series, and interesting note, both of them had won their contract through split decision. So they'd won, but like there were a couple of question marks. So victim Altamirano takes on Carlos Hernandez. Hernandez wins by, by split decision. So both guys were matched up together coming off split decision wins. Carlos Hernandez wins that fight by split decision. And look, Victor Altamirano has shown in the time since that he's a very quality fighter. So... That win has aged well for Carlos. Now look, the flyweight division is priming really well for this year ahead. We've got Figgy and Moreno 4 uh, on the next card. And that after that, the division kind of opens up for other contenders. And we're looking for that next wave of flyweight brilliance. And there are plenty of names to choose from. You've got the previously mentioned Tagir Ulanbekov. You've got someone like Mohamed Mokayev, Jeff Molina. Manel Cape, Amer Albazi, Mateus Nicolau. Like the flyweight division really starting to get exciting. And for Nascimento and Hernandez, well, they've got their opportunity here to add their names to this mix in what is starting to become a very enthralling division. Now, looking at the Topology World Flyweight Rankings, Nascimento ranked 20th in the world, so not too far away from the top 15 and Carlos Hernandez ranked 31st worldwide. So both guys in that position at the start of the year where a win propels them forward towards making a run in the division, and a loss is definitely a setback so early in the year. Now, looking at the stylistic breakdown, for Nascimento, submissions are his go, jiu-jitsu is absolutely his game, and I think throughout we're going to see Nascimento threatening for the submission 
However, Carlos Hernandez does have a quality submission game of his own, both offensively and more important, defensively. I've seen a lot to like from Carlos Hernandez to the point where I think it's going to be pretty tricky for Alan Nascimento to knock up a submission. Nascimento, though, very big for the division. Definitely seems more like a bantamweight than a flyweight, so if Alan can use his size to his advantage, that'll definitely hold him in good stead. Checking out the tail of the tape, Nascimento 31 years old, Hernandez 29, same height, and a pretty sizable reach advantage for Nascimento, over 6 centimeters in reach. As I mentioned, Nascimento very big for the division. I think once you see them up against each other this weekend, it'll be apparent just how much of a big fella Nascimento is in a division built around small fellas. Now, looking at Alan Puro Oso Nascimento's profile, he's Brazilian, trains at Shootbox, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist with a UFC record of one win and one loss. Nascimento's professional record stands at 19 and 6, and the key statistic from the 19 wins for Nascimento, 13 of those have come by way of submission. So 68% of his career victories coming by way of submission. Nascimento also holds 11 first round finishes on his record. He's extremely durable and has yet to be stopped inside the distance, with all six of Nascimento's losses coming by way of decision. So it's going to be very hard to finish him, and as far as his finishing intent, it's pretty clear Nascimento going to be aiming for the submission. As for Carlos Hernandez, he is 29 years old from America, and he trains with VFS Academy. Really good team over there, and they're definitely going to have Carlos ready for this big fight. Hernandez is a freestyle fighter, a Dana White's Contender Series graduate with a 1-0 UFC record. Overall, Hernandez's pro record stands at 8 wins and 1 loss. He lost a decision in his pro debut, and since that point, Carlos has gone 8 straight fights without tasting defeat, 8 wins in a row, never been finished, and coming off back-to-back split decision victories. As far as wins for Hernandez, they are split 50-50. He's got four submissions and four decision wins, no knockouts. Now, as far as how the fight plays out, Carlos Hernandez, I don't know, he's one of those guys where even when I go against him, I'm like, oh, this he's a tricky guy to beat. I mean, that's been proven, eight-fight win streak. And yeah, Hernandez, look, I've got Nascimento in this one, but Carlos Hernandez worries me. He does worry me, so I'm not tipping this too confidently. I think we could see a huge upset here, but I'm going to go Alan Nascimento by submission. I think somewhere in there, he's going to lock it up. I was thinking Nascimento by decision originally, because I do think Carlos Hernandez has great submission defense, but ultimately, we're just going to lean in to the Brazilian jiu-jitsu here. I'm going to take Alan Nascimento by submission. I think somewhere... Within that 15 minutes, he's able to lock something up and put Hernandez away. So we're going to take Alan Nascimento in flyweight action by submission. With that being said, now let's keep the train rolling as we like to do here and get amongst our next fight.
Alright, now let's get amongst our next contest in the lightweight division. We've got two fresh faces at 155 pounds facing off this weekend as Poland's Mateusz Rebecki meets New England cartel's Nick Fior. Now, for Mateusz Rebecki, the Polishman is on a 13-fight win streak, and he earned his UFC contract at the end of August last year, submitting Rodrigo Lidio in the first round of their Dana White Contender Series bout. The key statistic for Mateusz Rebecki is that he has finishes in 13 of his 16 victories as a pro. This man does not like to leave it to the judges. Opposing Mateusz this weekend is Nick Fior, who steps in on short notice, replacing Omar Morales. Fior is a New England cartel member, alongside the likes of Kelvin Cater and Rob Font, and Fior has a very strong grappling base. That's most definitely where his strengths lay, although his level of fucking hell, I don't know what just came out of, I don't know if you even heard that. Heard that. So anyway, let me, let me continue, I'm getting distracted. Uh, he's got a strong grappling base, does Nick Fior, but his experience and level of competition not on the same level as Rebecca, although both guys making their UFC debut. Now, Nick Fior is undefeated 6-0, all six of his wins coming in the first round, and Nick went 3-3 three from three under the Combat Zone banner last year, impressing enough to gain the attention of the UFC matchmakers. Now, having a squiz at the tail of the tape, Mateusz Rebecki with a 16-1 record, comparatively to Nick Fior's 6-0. Five-year age discrepancy with Rebecki 30 years old, Fior 25. Slight height advantage and a pretty significant, well over 10 centimeters of reach for Nick Fior. So he is going to have a massive reach advantage. Uh, we'll have to wait and see as to how much impact that has on this contest. Onto the profiles now. We'll start with Mateus Rebecki. Rebecki. You gotta roll those R's. I'm of Polish heritage, so yeah, I, I can get those parts right, but yeah, fucking hell. I actually can't say his nickname. And I can say this because I am Polish, so I can say this, but I saw like that meme where like Polish people, they're given their names just by like smacking your head on the keyboard. There's a lot of X's and Z's and Y's. Really throws you off your game. So I'm still mastering some of the things. Like I can't quite say his nickname, uh, but I'm allowed to talk shit. I'm Polish, so fucking sue me. Now, Rebecca trains at Berserker's team, and it will be the official UFC debut for the Polishman, who, much like his opponent in Nick Fior, his strengths lay in the grappling. Now, Rebecca's pro record is 16-1, and one, his only loss being a knockout, whilst from his 16 wins, 50% of those have been knockout slash technical knockout. He's also got six submission victories and two decisions. So like I said, pretty much all of his bouts going to a finish. As for his opponent, Nick Fior, trains at New England Cartel. He's an American fighter, specializes in the grappling, and it is his UFC debut. Looking at Fior's pro record, six wins, no losses, and all six wins being first round finishes, four of six wins by way of submission, with two knockouts as well. Stylistically, it should be interesting. Like I mentioned, Rebecca has had 
more experience, a higher level of competition. Uh, so you would have to expect him to be the stronger fighter. If you look at the betting market, that would definitely suggest uh, that the odds are heavily in favor of Rebecca. Last I checked, he was about $1.12, which not great value for a bloke who hasn't even fought at UFC level yet. But the grappling exchanges, that's where I think this is going to be won and lost. Fior, obviously a fantastic grappler, but I do think Rebecca's just going to be that cut above. So I've gone with Mateus Rebecki by knockout. I think we might see more of a technical knockout situation, maybe ground and pound, something like that. But I got a back fellow Polishman in here. I like him. I haven't seen enough from Nick Fior to suggest we're going to see a massive upset here. Uh, so I've gone Mateus Rebecki by knockout. Taking the Polishman by knockout. And look, it's bloody steaming hot here today in Melbourne. I'm sweating balls. I've just rushed home from work to record this. Got to get to a birthday dinner pretty quickly after this. So you know what? That's the prediction. Let's keep this train rolling. Mateus Rebecki by knockout. Let us get amongst the next. And following on from that lightweight clash, it does not get any more explosive than this contest at 185 pounds as knockout artists Claudio Ribeiro and Abdul Razak Al Hassan collide in the apex this weekend. I'll start with Claudio Ribeiro, who's making his official UFC debut after earning a contract last year on Dana White's Contender Series. Now, we saw plenty of contracts handed out uh, but Claudio, amongst the most impressive from his season, earning the contract with a 25-second knockout victory, extending his record to 10-2. and two. Now, the key statistic for Claudio Ribeiro is that all 10 of his victories have come by way of knockout. So 10 from 10. He's a knockout artist, just like his opponent. Now, Claudio has eight first-round finishes. He is a former future FC middleweight champion, and he has never been knocked out. One submission loss, one decision loss, 10 knockout wins, no knockout losses, and that's only half of this very explosive collision. The other half is Abdul Razak Al Hassan, been in the UFC for a hot minute now, and Abdul announced himself as a prospect to watch early on, winning 10 of his first 11 pro bouts. Then though, Abdul Razak Al Hassan has kind of slipped in recent times, with losses in four of his past five from 2020 to the present. Now, that leaves Abdul with a record of 11 and 5, and all 11 of Razak Al Hassan's wins have been first round knockouts. So, if he doesn't get the finish in the first round, traditionally he does go on to lose, but how's that for a fucking stat? 11 pro wins for Abdul Razak Al Hassan. 10 pro wins for Claudio Ribeiro. Between them, 21 knockout wins. They haven't won by any other method. That sets us up for a pretty mouth-watering encounter here. So all 11 wins, first round knockouts. And the last win for Abdul Razak Al Hassan came in August 2021. That was a 17 second head kick knockout over Alessio Desherico. Um... That's what Abdul Razak Al-Hassan can do. Not only does he get first round knockouts, like they come 
very quickly. 17 second head kick was his last win, but as I mentioned, he's lost four of his last five. All four of those losses to pretty decent opponents like Jacob Malkoon, Munir Lazez, Chaos Williams, Joaquin Buckley. Uh, four of his five losses, this is Abdul, have come by way of decision as well. The only person to ever finish Abdul Razak Al Hassan was Chaos Williams. I remember that one vividly. That was the day I became a huge Chaos Williams fan. 30 second knockout, and it was a powerful one at that. So we kind of see a theme with Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Knockouts are plenty, although four or five losses by decision, as I mentioned. Now, stylistically, this is going to be an absolute perler. I don't know how long the fight's going to last, but it does seem destined to end in knockout. Now, Abdul, he's the older fighter, 37 years old, and not in great form as of late, whereas Ribeiro is on the rise. However, this is the first legit test at UFC level for Claudio Ribeiro. Checking out the tail of the tape, seven years difference between them, Ribeiro 30, Abdul Razak Al Hassan 37. Height and reach advantage lays with Ribeiro, which in a fight like this does have a ton of weight, given that we're expecting a knockout here. So any little advantage in the reach department, it counts for a whole lot in a fight like this. Now let's get on to the man known as Judo Thunder, Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who will be proudly representing his home nation of Ghana this weekend. Abdul is fighting out of Fort Worth, Texas, and trains at Team Elevation, and Abdul is a black belt in Judo, as well as being a Muay Thai practitioner. Razak Al Hassan enters Vegas this weekend with a UFC record standing at 5 wins and 5 losses. As for Claudio Ribeiro, the 30-year-old is from Sao Paulo, Brazil, training at BBT Thai, and Ribeiro, as I mentioned, a knockout specialist making his official UFC debut this weekend. Now, I cannot wait to watch this fight. It feels like there's going to be a knockout. I mean, all signs are pointing towards knockout. I'm going to go the other way. And this is my pick on the card that I feel least confident about. Not just head-to-head, -head, but also the method here. I'm going to take Abdul Razak Al Hassan, the older fighter, the underdog, by decision. I don't know, I feel like Ribeiro is very durable, so it's going to be hard for Abdul to get him out of there. I just had a look at the odds as well. It's actually shifted. Razak uh, Al Hassan is the slight favorite by a matter of sense. Uh, but Abdul Razak Al Hassan now the slight favorite. I'm just having a look at the odds. $13 for Abdul Razak Al Hassan to win by decision. I'm going to lock that one in. I like a value play somewhere through the card. And yeah, I just feel like both men are going to respect each other's power. We're either going to see fireworks from the get-go and a pretty quick finish, or we're going to see both men respecting each other's power, just making sure they don't leave themselves vulnerable. And if it goes down that route, I think Abdul Razak Al Hassan can muscle out a decision win. However, if he doesn't finish the fight in the first round, he has always gone on to lose. So we do need to keep that into account. But what I also want to keep into account is some fucking value. We're going the value play here. This is the pick I'm least confident about. 
but at $13, I'm going to sink my fucking teeth right in. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan over Claudio Ribeiro by decision. Fuck, it's going to be a stressful watch. I'm already... Uh, I can already tell one of these guys is going to get knocked out, but let's go the value play. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan by decision, and I think you know the score by now. Rolling trains, these trains keep rolling. Let's get amongst the next. Alrighty, undefeated bantamweights slotting into the featured prelim position this weekend, and I'm genuinely pumped for this encounter. We've got Javid Basharat up against the debutante in Mateus Mendonca. We've got Javid the Snow Leopard Basharat, a prospect on the rise in arguably the most stacked division worldwide. Javid is 13-0, an undefeated fighter, and he's starting to garner just that little bit of hype. He's starting to build himself up early on in his UFC career. Opposing Javid this weekend, we have the debutant Mateus Bocal Mendonca, also undefeated, a 10-0 prospect, ready to give the UFC a big old bloody shake-up. Now, checking out Javid Basharat, uh, he earned a contract on Dana White's Contender Series, submitted Oren Carlon. Uh, now, that one memorable because Oren decided to call Javid, who is of Afghani, uh, what's the word, heritage? Called him a terrorist. I remember that everyone on social media was like, geez, hopefully this guy gets fucked up. And he did. Javid spent the best part of 15 minutes just beating the shit out of this guy and finished him with less than a minute to go in the fight. And that wasn't because he wasn't able to do it earlier. He made this guy suffer. Like, he just beat the shit out of this guy and then went, I'm going to fucking submit you. And he did. So that was an epic moment. Then... Back-to-back -back wins last year under the UFC banner for Basharat. Firstly, beating Trevin Jones by decision. Trevin Jones, always dangerous. That's definitely a win that holds some weight. And then Basharat in September last year beats Tony Gravely by decision. Now, Javid Basharat, he's building himself up nicely, as I said. But his next test is going to be a very interesting one in Mateus Mendonca. Now, for Mateus, he actually had like a two-year gap, almost just under two years uh, between like his last fight as a pro and then his Dana White Contender Series fight. Now, I haven't actually looked into that, whether that was injury or what that was. But anyway, he returns after just under two years off, gets a 48-second knockout on the Contender Series, and Mendonca earns himself a contract. Now he gets to make his official debut. One undefeated run will continue this weekend, elevating the winner to new heights, with plenty of the calendar year remaining as well for one of these men to make a rapid push toward the rankings. For the loser, well, the O on their record will become a 1, and they're going to be left to digest their first setback. Let's now have a geese at the tail of the tape. Both fighters undefeated, Javid Basharat 13-0, Mateus Mendonca 10-0, Mateus only 23 years of age, whilst Javid still young as well, 27. So both these guys with time on their side, and they've already made a pretty decent fist of their careers so far. Height advantage will lay with Basharat, whilst Mendonca will have the reach advantage. It's going to be an interesting contest, this featured prelim. Now, let's get on to the profiles 
We'll start with Javed the Snow Leopard Bashrat. He will be representing England and, as I mentioned, of Afghani descent. And Javed, here's a game changer, trains at Extreme Couture, one of the world's leading gyms. That definitely holds some weight as well. And as far as Basharat's style, he's an all-rounder. Fantastic on the feet. You'd have to say even better on the ground. He doesn't have one particular strength that stands out, like a huge submission game or anything like that. He just, he nails every aspect. He does really well in each different kind of way the fight can go. So that definitely holds up for Basharat, who has a 2-0 UFC record. As for Mateus Mendonca, the 23-year-old Brazilian trains at Shootbox. A few Shootbox fighters on this card, including Alan Nascimento. Uh, so big, big day for Mateus this weekend in his UFC debut. Stylistically, both of these guys are going to be looking to impose themselves, and neither man to this point knows what it feels like to lose. I'm expecting Javid to control the fight in top position, I haven't seen enough of Mendonca, but this kid could surprise us all. Both of these guys possess fight finishing intent, and I think stylistically, they match up so well. Like I'm expecting a really fun fight. Do not miss this one on the weekend. Now, both guys have had a decent run in terms of the strength of their opposition leading into the UFC. Uh, like A lot of guys will just have a very low level of competition before they enter the UFC. So that holds both these fellas in really good stead. Now, looking at the topology bantamweight rankings worldwide, Javed Basharat is ranked 32nd in the world, and he definitely has all the makings of someone who can crack the top 15. Now, Mendonca, he is not in the worldwide rankings yet, ranked 22nd amongst the Brazilian bantamweights, which he has been very impressive, but... I'm like, where are these other 21? Brazilian bantamweights. Have we seen them yet? I don't know. I'm, I'm always a little bit like, oh, 22nd. So he wouldn't even be in the top 15 uh, just within his own region. Although there are a fuck ton of people in Brazil. And it seems like all of them do jiu-jitsu. So, like, I mean, 22nd in Brazil. Not bloody bad, but Javed Basharat, uh, it holds a lot more weight 32nd worldwide. But I digress. Let's get to the pro records. We'll start with Mateus Mendonca, 10-0 with seven first-round finishes. He has three knockout victories, four submissions, and three decisions. So there's a bit of variation in terms of how Mateus has been getting his hand raised. For Basharat, he is 13-0 with eight first-round finishes. And look, he had an impeccable 100% finish rate prior to his UFC debut. Uh, and then since then, his last two fights have both gone to decision. So that makes up for the two decision wins. Uh, but 11 of 13 victories coming inside the distance for Javed Basharat. I'm expecting him to look for another finish here. He's had back-to-back -back decisions. He's had time to adjust, acclimatize, and get himself comfortable inside the octagon. And now I really think the best is about to come from Javed Basharat. Now the bantamweight weight class would say there's, it's more likely to go to decision. The lighter weight class is very technical, a little bit less power than your heavyweights, your light heavyweights and middleweights. 
So this one in terms of the weight class and the finish factor could most definitely go the distance. Although both these guys, they just have this great ability at being able to achieve the finish. The question is, with two undefeated fighters, where is the weakness? Where does the weakness, weakness lie? If you're going to finish Mendonca, how are you going to do it? He hasn't even been beaten by decision. Same goes for Javid Bashrat, who's looked incredible in his UFC run so far. So it's not so much about these guys' ability to gain the finish. It's more so, how do you stop one of these guys that so far haven't been stopped? Great, great matchmaking for the featured prelim. Uh, the striking is something I'm very excited to see go down as well. Both guys very strong on the mat, but I'm not exactly sure who has the advantage when it comes to the stand-up. Very pumped for this one. I'm going to take Javid Bashrat. I just think over his last couple of appearances, I've really started to take notice of this guy. I do believe, look, he might not be a future champion, but I don't think Javid Bashrat's here to make up the numbers. What I've seen from him so far suggests that this guy is top 15 material. And I went Tony Gravely in the last fight. I went against Javid Bashrat. And watching that fight, I was like, okay. Okay, Javid Bashrat, this, this guy's going on my list, my one-to-watch list. So I've been keeping an eye on him. Now feels like the right time to get on board the bandwagon. I'm going to take Javid Bashrat, and I'm going to take him by knockout. Now, like I said, very hard to pick a finish in a fight between two undefeated fighters. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go Javid Bashrat by knockout. Not a ton of deep thought has gone into that. I was feeling like, I feel like Bashrat's going to get the finish. But then it came back to like what I was saying. Where do the weaknesses lie? Like what is Mendonca's weakness? I don't know. But I'm going to be putting my hard-earned cash on the fact that Javid Bashrat, somewhere in that 15 minutes, can get the finish. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win well. Uh, and so with that being said, I'm, I'm going to dive into the finish. Javid Bashrat by knockout, maybe ground control, a technical knockout situation, something like that. But I can see Bashrat also just starching him on the feet. Got a lot of questions about this fight. I cannot wait to sit down, watch, and have some answers. My pick for the featured prelim, UFC Vegas 67, Javid Bashrat by knockout. That's the prelim portion done. And now the train rolls on. And I just talked to the train driver. I said, what's on the cards? And he said, well, up next, we are getting amongst the main card. And I said, are we really? And he said, let's not waste any more time. The train, the train was actually rolling. He was already a fair few meters in front of me by that point. But he said, let's keep this train rolling and move on to the main card. So that is what we shall do. Let us get amongst it. Our first main card of the year launches with an epic bantamweight showdown as the undefeated phenom Umar Nurmagomedov takes on the ever-dangerous Brazilian in Raoni, or Raoni, I believe, the, let me just, Raoni Barcelos. Let me get the name out before I fucking go on my tangent, but I keep forgetting the Brazilians. The R, it's like a ha, like Rafael dos Anjos. I'm just... Fucking a bit too Caucasian at the moment. Uh, Haoni Barcelos. Barcelos. Fucking boom, now I'm Brazilian. 
as quickly as that. Let's get into it though. Namagomedov up against Barcelosh. Umar Namagomedov ranked number 11 within the bantamweight division. And Umar has quickly, very hastily, worked his way up the ranks in the bantamweight division through only three UFC appearances. Now, we saw Namagomedov make his debut at the start of last year. Second round submission over Sergei Morozov. That, that's a pretty stern, stern assignment. Like, Sergei has proven very quality fighter, and Namagomedov dispatched him pretty quickly in the piece. Then after that, we saw Irma absolutely roll through Brian Kelleher. Again, a stern assignment. Like, they were not feeding Namagomedov easy guys to roll through. Cans, if you will. Brian Kelleher, very dangerous. Not ranked, but definitely one of those guys who you think you're going to get him, and then he finds a way to submit you. Brian Kelleher got submitted in the first round by Irmar Namagomedov, and then most recently in June of last year, Oh, sorry as well, fucking, uh, when I said Omar made his debut January last year, uh, actually 2021, I just realized we're in 2023, so yeah, living in the past at the moment, but last appearance for Omar Nurmagomedov, unanimous decision over Nate Maness. now Omar's back, looking to get that big win to really move himself forward toward title contention. He's got a very tough opponent here, though, in Hyoni Barcelos, who'll be entering Vegas this weekend looking to orchestrate not just a huge upset, but also to break his way into the rankings. Now, for Barcelos, he actually holds a win over Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, so there you go. He's beaten a Nurmagomedov already. How many fucking people can say that? Not many. After the win against Saeed Nurmagomedov, Hyoni beat Khalid Tala by unanimous decision, before he suffered back-to-back -back losses, first to Timur Valiev, and then, very memorably, to Victor Henry, uh, January last year. Now, I remember that one, because I had Hony Barcelos, had my money on him, and he was a very short-priced favorite. But he did, he shared me on his story with like a fucking fire emoji, so I can cop the loss. I'm like, thanks for the, thanks for the fucking love. Hyeni Barcelos, my man. Uh, but yeah, the Victor Henry fight, gee whiz. Victor Henry took that on short notice as well. And Barcelos, he was looking for the finish. He just couldn't get it. Ended up losing by decision. And then, most recently, Traven Jones. Hyeni Barcelos beats him October last year. Unanimous decision. Had my money on Hyeni there as well. I remembered. I remembered the Instagram support. I was like, brother. I know you lost last time, but we're basically bros. We're basically bros, so I had to, had to get amongst Barcelos. But now, well, doesn't get much tougher than Umar Namagomedov. Barcelos is going to need to bring his A-game. Let's get amongst the profiles. Hyoni Barcelos, 35 years old, from Brazil, training at Rizzo RVT. Barcelos is a great striker and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, he also has excellent wrestling, so a lot of variation in the game of Hyoni Barcelos. Very high quality striking, that is where he is most dangerous, and Hyoni carries a 6-2 UFC record into this contest. As for his opponent, Omar Namagomedov, the 26-year-old Russian, trains under Javier Mendez, and his gym's listed, it's got a little split, we've got Eagles MMA, and also American Kickboxing Academy. 
Big news coming out as well. Start of this year, Khabib Namagamedov. He is going to leave coaching. He may have already gone. He may already be gone. So I don't think he's going to be in Omar's corner here. That was interesting. Now, obviously, Habib, he knows his priorities, like his family, everything like that. So he called his career when he was on top. And he was fucking, he was tracking really well in terms of his corner work and his coaching. Everyone was thinking we may be looking at the next great crate next crate coach next great coach uh, but he's pulled the pin he's out so that definitely big news Umar Nurmagomedov though I think he should be okay uh, he's a fantastic Muay Thai fighter and obviously like most of those fellas uh, he's got a Sambo background Umar carries a 3-0 UFC record into this one and he is 15-0 overall now, checking out the tail of the tape, 15-0, Umar Namagomedov. We'll slow that one down, going a little bit too quickly there. 15-0 uh, compared to Hayoni Barcelos, who is 17-3. Umar, 27 years old, whilst Barcelos, 35. Slight height and decent reach advantage for Namagomedov. Now, I had a little look on the UFC, uh, UFC's website. Just got some little profile factors as well. Crunch the numbers. Oman and Magomedov have 70% striking accuracy. Now, it's only over a small sample size, but still, I mean, anything over 60% is very decent. So 70% striking accuracy, that is unbelievable. And just as impressive, he's landed 4.3 significant strikes per minute, and he absorbs 0.37. So he's barely getting hit. Barely getting hit. So very impressive from Omar Namagomedov. Now Barcelos, he's got 53% striking accuracy for comparison, uh, but he's absorbing a lot more strikes. 5.82 strikes landed per minute for Barcelos, uh, but he's absorbing just under 5, 4.95, or 4.94 strikes absorbed per minute. So that's not good. He's getting hit nearly five times as much as Umar Nurmagomedov. But for Barcelos, his key statistic by the numbers, 94% takedown defense. So this is a really interesting stylistic matchup because it's hard to get Barcelos to the ground. And if this fight stays standing, like do not look at the betting market, see how sizable a favorite Umar Nurmagomedov is and just think he's gonna roll, roll through this guy. Because he's not. As I said, Hyeni and I, we are bros. And like this is a really stern test for Ermar Namagomedov. The challenge here, get Barcelos to the ground. Hyeni, once you can get him to the ground, then you can really dictate the terms of the fight. But like I mentioned, if it stays standing, scales start to tip in favor of the Brazilian. Now onto the professional records, Ermar Namagomedov, 15 and 0, four first round finishes, seven submission wins, seven decision wins, and only the one knockout. So seven submissions, seven decisions. That would kind of give you your idea in terms of method of victory. Less likely that he's going to achieve the knockout. As for Hayoni Barcelos, he carries a 17 and 3 record into this one with five first round finishes. 
From his three losses, two of three have been by decision, with one submission loss as well, Barcelos never being knocked out across his professional career. As far as wins, 10 of 17 wins have come inside the distance, eight knockouts, two submissions, and seven decisions as well for Barcelos. As far as the rankings picture, Tapology has Barcelos ranked 21st worldwide, so he's right on the cusp of the top 15, whilst Irma is in the official UFC rankings in the 11th position. For Umar, he must defend his position inside the rankings before he inevitably moves forward to top 10 opposition. Can Barcelos steal the spotlight? There's a chance. It's never wise to go against a Namagomedov. I'll say that. But Barcelos, he's beaten a Namagomedov before. He's beaten Saeed and Hayoni. Easily the toughest test that Umar has encountered so far in his pro career. Now, stylistically, Barcelos very durable, and I just, I don't know. I can see a world where Umar Namagomedov does just completely roll through him, but only Barcelos, I just, he's someone that I've seen a lot from, and there's not a whole lot that suggests this guy is just going to be a walkover. So I really think there's just no value in Umar Namagomedov at $1.09 head-to-head. I really feel like Hyoni is a stud. I feel like he does have the potential to cause a boil over. However, like I said, it's just not wise to go against a Namagomedov. I'm gonna have to go against my boy here. I'll have to send him a text like my brother. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm gonna take Omar Namagomedov here by decision. Dominant decision, I think he wins this one clearly, but Barcelos, he's durable. I think he is much better than the odds would suggest when it comes to the betting market. I think Barcelos, I think he can get through the 15 minutes. And for Erman Magomedov, I just think his wrestling's going to be too strong. There isn't a world where I'm seeing him lose, but I think Barcelos is going to put up a bit of a fight. So Erman Magomedov to kick off the main card with a decision win over Barcelos. Four fights to go, the train is rolling, and we are now getting amongst the next. Alright, the train pulls in to our next station, the women's bantamweight station. We've got top five women's bantamweight action up next, as the second ranked Ketlin Vieira looks to add to her resume and her case as to why she should be the next title challenger. It's going to be Ketlin Vieira taking on the fifth-ranked Raquel Pennington in a fight that most likely sees the winner earn a title shot later this year. Now, Raquel Pennington enters this contest on a four-fight win streak, returning to the form that saw her challenge for the title back in 2018. Four straight wins for Pennington. She had a decision over Marion Renault, decision over Penny Kianzad, a second round submission over Macy Chason, who missed weight. Uh, Chason more of a featherweight than a bantamweight. There's, that's another conversation for another day. And then speaking of a woman more of a featherweight than a bantamweight, uh, the last win for Raquel Pennington in her four fight streak was over Aspen Ladd. As for Ketlin Vieira, she's on a two-fight win streak, 
back-to-back main event victories over two former champions in Holly Holm and Misha Tate. She's also beaten Sajari Eubanks with a loss to Yana Kunitskaya in the middle there. But two straight wins, two main event victories over two former champions. Caitlin Vieira, another win here, and she's got the best case, I believe, in the division to challenge for the belt. Checking out Taylor the Tape, Vieira, I know you're not supposed to ever say a woman's age or ask her age, but she's 31. Fucking Google told me, so I didn't break the rules. Raquel Pennington, she's 34. Height advantage and reach advantage ever so slightly lays with the Brazilian. On to the profiles. We'll start with Raquel Pennington from Colorado Springs, training at Triple Threat, uh, Triple Threat Gym. And Pennington is a freestyle fighter with a UFC record standing at 11 wins and 5 losses. Two of those losses came against Holly Holm, who Vieira recently defeated by split decision. There's a little factoid for you. Now, checking out the professional record of Raquel Pennington. That stands at 14 and 8 overall, with 9 of 14 wins coming by decision for Raquel. Now, 4 of her 5 finishes as a pro have come by way of submission, so if she is to achieve the finish here, submission seems the most likely, but 9 of her 14 wins coming by the judges' scorecards. Now, as for the eight losses for Pennington, six of those eight losses have come by decision. So there's a bit of a theme here, decision seemingly the theme. Now, Pennington also holds the record for most fight time in UFC women's bantamweight history. So there you go, there's another factoid for you. Now, on to Ketlin Fenomeno Vieira. From Brazil, training at Nova Uniao. She is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well as a judo black belt with a UFC record standing at 7 wins and 2 losses. Vieira's overall professional record stands at 13-2. and two. Her 2 losses, one was a knockout up against Irene Aldana, and the other a decision up against Jana Kunitskaya. As for the wins for Vieira, over 50% of her wins have come by way of decision, 7 decisions from 13 wins, as well as 2 knockouts and 4 submissions. Stylistically, I'm expecting this to be a grappling-centric contest. For Pennington, I believe she's going to be aiming to utilize striking to her advantage. Uh, whilst Vieira, she's all about that ground game. And she's also got really great defense when it comes to takedowns. 92% takedown defense for Ketlin Vieira. And as I mentioned, her game totally revolves around her jiu-jitsu. I'm expecting this fight to be filled with clinches against the cage and just battles for control time. I think it's going to be a very close matchup. We cannot ignore as well the title picture conversation at women's bantamweight. Does Ketlin Vieira earn a title shot based off a win here? I, I think yes. Juliana Pena, Irene Aldana, there's a couple of other names, but I feel like a win here should be enough to earn Ketlin Vieira a shot at the title. Especially when you consider that the challenges for Amanda Nunes, potential challenges, it's not a deep list. So this fight holds a ton of importance within the division. Really interested to see how it plays out. As of late, I've been making my money off backing Raquel Pennington. But I'm going to go the other way here. I'm going to go Ketlin Vieira. I think this is a 50-50 fight to call. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a split decision. 
I, I just think jujitsu and control time is going to be what gets Ketlin over the line. Now, this was basically one where I was like, fuck, this is so 50-50. i got to go one way. I've liked Raquel Pennington. She's won me some money. Now just feels like the right time to make the switch. So I'm going to go Ketlin Vieira over Raquel Pennington by decision. I think this fight definitely goes the distance. It's the winner. The winner on the judges' scorecards that is the part that I'm finding difficult to call. But we're going to make that call. Ketlin Vieira by decision over Rack Pennington. And that leaves us with three fights remaining. So going with Vieira over Pennington. Decision victory. The train now rolls on. And we've got a very exciting contest in the middleweight division up next. So without further ado, let's of course get amongst it. Hench, big fellas, is the name of the game up next. We've got two 185ers, Puna Soriano up against Roman Kopilov on this main card. Now, I'll start with Puna Soriano, a Dana White Contender Series graduate, class of 2019. Soriano opened his UFC career in style with back-to-back knockout wins over Oscar Piacciota and Dusko Todorovic, but back-to-back losses followed for Soriano dropped a unanimous decision to Brendan Allen, and then he dropped a split decision against Nick Maximov. I remember that one clearly because that was the co-main event. And Sean Strickland was actually in that main event up against Jack Hermanson. I was two fights away from winning a fucking good amount of money. And my guys came through. I had Nick Maximov in that fight. So that fight wasn't super exciting, but I do have a pretty strong memory of it. Back-to-back wins for Puna to start his run. Then back-to-back losses. Last time out, though, Puna managed to arrest that slide with an emphatic return to the winner's column. A second-round knockout over Dolce Longiambula, who I believe has been cut uh, after his loss to Edmund Shabazian. But still, big win for Puna Soriano. As for his opponent, Roman Kopilov, well, not the greatest run. Dropped his first two UFC fights got submitted in the third round up against Carl Robeson and then lost by decision against Albert Duraev. However, Roman Kopilov, boom, gets that first UFC win uh, September last year on the Paris card with a knockout in the third round over Alessio Desherico. So now Kopilov, he has that first win inside the UFC and he's going to be looking to kick on, as is Soriano, because the victor in this fight has a genuine opportunity to start making moves at 185 pounds. Checking out the tail of the tape, one year age difference between them, Kopilov 31 while Soriano is 30, slight height advantage for Kopilov, and he's got about 6 centimeters in reach as far as advantage. So again, in a fight like this, that those numbers can definitely come into play. So for Roman Kopilov, he'll be looking to just utilize his range and just work out exactly the the right distance where he can be hitting Soriano whilst being just out of the way of Soriano's bombs. Now, speaking of Soriano, I'll jump into his profile first. He is a 30-year-old American slash Hawaiian with a wrestling background as well as being a judo brown belt. Now, Punaheli trains at Extreme Couture, as I mentioned just before, one of the world's leading gyms, Really like the combination. Puna Soriano, he's the exact kind of fighter 
who I believe can thrive under the Extreme Couture banner. I just think, you know, they really get their fighters to fucking get fired up and chase the finish. They do not fuck around at Extreme Couture. And I think Puna Soriano is just that great kind of fighter to have under a system like that. Soriano carrying a 3-2 and two UFC record into this contest. As for Roman Kopilov, the Russian trains at RATY team. He is a striker with a UFC record standing at one win and two losses. As far as the world rankings picture on tapology.com, Punaheli is ranked 39th worldwide in the middleweight division, whilst Roman is 61st. So neither of these guys are making an immediate run for the rankings off of a win here. But the winner definitely, they're going to have time throughout the rest of this year to get another couple of wins. And especially in Punaheli's case, he's not too far off the rankings. He's not quite in that conversation yet, but all it takes is a couple of wins. For Roman Kopilov, he's all the way back at 61st, but a win over Soriano should catapult him into the top 40. So there is a lot of importance around this fight. For the loser, then they find themselves in not such an enviable position. So a lot at stake here. Plenty to lose as well as plenty to gain. Stylistically, I think this one's going to be a stand-up fight. Both guys love a knockout. And yeah, I'm hoping we just see 15 minutes of pure stand-up. As far as professional records, they actually have the exact same record both with a 9 and 2 record. Uh, I'll check out both of their losses first. Soriano's two losses coming by way of decision, the back-to-back against Brendan Allen and Nick Maximov. For Roman Kopilov, his two losses, one decision and one submission, also in a back-to-back stretch in the UFC. Now for the wins. Kopilov, 8 of 9 wins by way of knockout. Boom, there you go. This, this guy's bread and butter. He likes to knock people out as well as one decision win. As far as Punaheli's wins, well, eight of his nine wins have been stoppages as well. Six knockouts, two submissions, and the one decision victory. What I do know in this fight is that it is going to be all action, both guys with so much on the line in terms of their career going forward. I think this is going to be a fun one. I'm taking Puna Soriano by knockout. We haven't seen Roman Kopilov get knocked out yet, And all week I was thinking Soriano by decision. But you know what? Puna just has that oomph. He has that X factor. And I know with Extreme Couture in his corner, there will be no fucking around. And I think he can get it done. He's got powerful hands. He's got six knockouts on his resume. Now, Kopilov has eight. So you could argue Roman Kopilov has more knockouts. But I just really like the way Puna goes about his business. He's powerful, he's got a great gym, great coaches in his corner, and I think now's the right time for Puna to start piecing everything together and make a run of significance. So I'm going to take Puna Soriano over Roman Kopilov by knockout. When's he going to get that knockout? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to trust in the power of Puna Soriano to get this one done by knockout. And then after this fight, we've got two more to go. The co-main event, and of course, our short notice main event. I'm already 40 minutes late for this little birthday dinner I've got going, so we are getting the fuck amongst this next fight right now. It's 
It's going to be a featherweight scrap occupying this weekend's co-main event slot as Dan 50k Ige looks to return to form against the surging veteran, the leech Damon Jackson. Interesting fight. Both guys, very different points in their journey right now. You've got Dan Ige, who is ranked in the top 15. I believe he's 13th, but is entering this one on the back of three straight losses. So at one point, Dan Ige was on the cusp of title contention, three straight losses. If he picks up a fourth straight here, you'd have to say he most likely drops out of the rankings. So very big crossroads fight for Dan Ige. He's had losses in four of his last five, but it's all been against the absolute top of the crop when it comes to the featherweight division. Now, looking at his last five outings, now we'll go back to Qatar or Kelvin Cater up against Dan Ige, a main event contest. Now, Ige loses that one, but he regains momentum pretty quickly. Absolutely floors Gavin Tucker very early on, knocks him out. Dan Ige, well, we pretty quickly forget about the Kelvin Cater loss, but then three straight fights dropped. Firstly, a main event drops a decision against Korean Zombie. Then he drops a decision up against Josh Emmett. And most recently, drops a decision up against Movsar Evloev. So, three straight losses, not a great place to be for Dan Ige. But he enters Vegas looking to put an end to his recent slide. However, the proposition, much easier said than done, given the form of his opponent in Damon Jackson. Now, the leech enters this fight on a four-fight winning streak, including wins in five of his last six since returning to the UFC for a second stint. Now, in those six fights, the only loss for Damon Jackson, a knockout against Ilya Tapuria, who many could argue the biggest killer in the division. Like, Ilya Tapuria is next level. He is right at the top. I've got him, I've got Aaron Blanchfield, and I've got Sergei Pavlovich as the three who really have that aura around them as potentially the next big thing. So to lose to Tapuria, I'll allow that. I'll allow that. Now, looking at the five wins in this time for Damon Jackson, he beat Mursad Bektic, stood up on short notice as well did Damon Jackson to get back into the UFC, submits Mursad Bektic. That in itself a great achievement. Then he loses to Tapuria, Four straight wins since for Damon Jackson. Decision against Charles Rosa. He then submits Camuela Kirk. Gets a decision over Dan Argueta, who's also on this card. And most recently, fucking hell. It was like 69 seconds or something. Gets the technical knockout over Pat Sabatini. So Damon Jackson, that was the performance where I went, okay. Okay, Damon Jackson, he's, he's making waves. Now he finds himself with the chance to enter the rankings. Will Dan Ige defend his position inside the top 15, or is it time for Damon Jackson to emerge as the next ranked competitor? Let's check out the profiles, starting with Damon the Leech Jackson, a 34-year-old American training at Fortis MMA. Damon is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt, and in his second stint inside the UFC, he holds a 4-1 and one record. When I had a gaze at the Tapology World Rankings, Tapology have Damon Jackson ranked 17th. 
So he's here. He's fighting for a spot in the top 15. And it's time. The time is now for Damon Jackson. As for Dan, 50k Ige. He is a 31-year-old American slash Hawaiian. Trains at Extreme Couture. Few representatives of the Extreme Couture gym on this card. Ige is a wrestler with a 7-5 UFC record. And he holds the number 13 ranking inside the featherweight top 15. Well, that's the spot that's at stake. I think if Ige loses here, he drops out of the rankings on a four-fight slide, and Damon Jackson slots in to that 13th position. So there is a fuck-ton on the line in this UFC Vegas 67 co-main event. Let's have a little uh, squiz at the pro records. Dan Ige's record 15-6. and six. Nine finishes from his 15 wins, four knockouts, five submissions. He's also got six decision wins. Now, the key statistic for Dan Ige comes in the loss column, and that becomes even more so relevant, given that, I mean, there's been a lot of additions to the loss column as of late for Dan Ige. All six of his losses coming by way of decision. So across 21 fights, Dan Ige has never been finished. Now, that also holds relevancy when you jump over to the record of Damon Jackson. 22 wins, 4 losses, 1 draw, and 1 no contest. Now, for Damon Jackson, 19 of his 22 wins have been finishes inside the distance. So he loves to achieve the finish. Dan Ige, 6 losses, all by decision. Boom, there's your stylistic pairing right there. That excites me a lot about this matchup. Damon Jackson, only three decision wins on his record from 28 fights and 22 wins overall. Only three decisions. Pretty bloody good. I think only four fights across 28, fight, uh, 28 matches have gone to decision in the career of Damon Jackson. So I'm expecting a fun one here. 15 of his 22 wins have been submissions. So the leech, he's a specialist at getting the tap out. And as far as his four losses, three of his four losses have come by way of knockout. So that does raise an alarm bell when you consider the power and the striking prowess of one Dan Ige. However, Damon Jackson, he, I can't remember the last time he got knocked out. Ilya Tapuria, I believe. Which, fucking hell, like, that, that, bloke, that bloke could knock out or submit pretty much everyone. Like, I'm, I'm waiting to see someone really stand up and give Ilya Tapuria a fair shake of the sauce bottle. No one's done it yet. Nobody's done it yet. So Damon Jackson, three of four losses by knockout. But last one to Ilya Tapuria. The one before that, fucking I'd have to go through and dig back a little while, maybe a couple of years. So I don't think he's as chinny as the three knockouts from four losses would suggest. But it is definitely an area where Dan Ige could look to exploit. Now, stylistically, Damon Jackson, he's going to be looking for that finish. You'd have to think submission's going to be on his radar. Whilst for Dan Ige, I believe he's going to be looking for the knockout. So, excellent matchmaking. So much at stake in this co-main event. In fact, the 13th position in the UFC featherweight rankings is at stake here. It's going to be a great way to set the tone for the main event. And with that being said, well, I'm going to make my pick. And this one, I was very close to changing. I just don't like to change last minute because then if I'm wrong, then 
I don't like to have that feeling like, ah, oh, fuck, I should have stayed with what I was going to go with. So I'm going to jump on this tip and just stick with it. Dan Ige by decision. And I was very close to changing it to a Damon Jackson win. And even now, like, I feel uneasy going with Dan Ige. Damon Jackson, albeit against lesser opposition, respectfully, Damon Jackson is in fantastic form. Dan Ige, quite the opposite. So it's been on my mind, like, do I switch to Damon Jackson? Are the signs there that Damon Jackson, five straight wins, he could be the one to really be keeping an eye on rather than Dan Ige, who's currently in the top 15. A lot of questions. Again, I've got a lot of questions surrounding this. Cannot wait to get some answers. And here's my answer if your question is, what's your pick? My pick is Dan Ige over Damon Jackson by decision. My confidence is waning by the second, so we are going to stick with that and move on to the main event. Jumping on Dan Ige by decision. Now we got a short notice main event, and that is Dunskis. Pretty good effort. And hey, if you've listened this far, if you've enjoyed the podcast, hell, if you've hated the podcast, do not forget to follow us on Instagram, not just a sports report. Working on a lot of different things that's going to go up there that'll be separate from the podcast. So if you want to keep up to date with all things not just a sports report, best way to do that, give us a follow on Instagram at not just a sports report. We're going to have some reels. Going to have some giveaways as well, working on a couple of fun giveaways and plenty of other stuff. If you're not interested in following us, then I'll move on. If you're interested in following us at Not Just a Sports Report on Instagram, let's now get amongst our main event. Now, if I were to look at the clock and say, what time is it? You could be forgiven. Australian time, Saturday the 14th of June, for thinking it, the time is 7.52pm. I say wrong. It's main event time, baby. Let's launch into it. Two middleweights put together on short notice, so this one taking place in the light heavyweight division. Now, Kelvin Gastelum forced out earlier in this week. The first card of 2023 now has a new headline act featuring the final headline act of last year. We've got Sean Strickland up against Nasruddin Imavov in our revised main event. Let's unpack it and get, most importantly and respectfully, amongst it. Now, I'll start with Nasruddin Imavov, who rolls into Vegas on the back of three consecutive victories with four wins in his five UFC appearances. Now, Nasruddin has wins over Jordan Williams, Ian Heinish. He has a technical knockout over Edmund Shabazian. And most recently, in his only fight last year, Nasruddin achieved a decision win over, over? Uh, Joaquin Buckley in Paris. So now Nasruddin, he steps up big time, five round action, and his real chance to make a giant leap forward within the division. He has intentions of cracking the top 10, and a win here would do exactly that. Not an easy task though, up against Sean Strickland, who's backing up after losing a close decision against Jared Cannonier at the end of last year. I'll be for real, I had a fucking more money than I should have, <laughs> like, on that, on Cannonier to win by decision, and I was judging it, I was judging the fight. I don't often do that, because I don't care, I'd rather just watch them punch on, but I was like, ah, oh, fuck if this loses. 
I shouldn't have put that much on Jared Cannonier. So I scored the fight, and I had the exact same score as the two judges in favor of Jared Cannonier. Um, yeah, very close fight. I thought no one clearly won that fight. It was very close. Nothing like substantial in terms of damage or knockdowns throughout the fight as well. But I had the same scorecards as two of the judges had. Uh, so Strickland, look, he ended up having a go at the judges after that. I had the same, and I'm not a judge. I was judging on a very loose criteria, but I was nervous. I was just nervous, especially, I believe I had the first two rounds for Strickland, or like one of those two rounds at least. Like early on, I was starting to sweat. I was like, oh, fuck's sake, like, why'd I put money on Jared Cannonier? Why'd I put money on anything? I've put too much on here. Thankfully, Cannonier ended up getting the win, but very close fight. Sean Strickland, he's pissed off. He wants to get back in the winner's column after losing two straight fights. Now, he was five straight at middleweight prior to that, so he was making a ton of noise at 185. I do wonder, has the Pereira loss changed him? Big, big if. Big if. Like, I, I'm going to say no, but I will say this as well. None of the fighters that Alex Pereira defeated inside the UFC have tasted victory since. First one Pereira beats, Andreas Michelidis. He's been cut. Maybe he's won since then. I don't know, but he's not even part of the UFC anymore. Then Bruno Blindado Silva, an absolute killer. One of my personal favorites in the middleweight division. He loses to Pereira and then comes out next fight and gets submitted by Gerald Mearshart. Interesting. Then Pereira beats Strickland. Strickland goes on to drop his next fight to Cannonier. I'm yet to see someone bounce back from an Alex Pereira loss. And this is a big hypothetical. This is just like, I'm not thinking too deep into this, but I do wonder, has the Pereira loss changed Strickland a little bit? Is he a bit more cautious now? Knowing that if you walk up, get in the face of a killer like a Pereira or Jared Cannonier, they can shut your lights out. Now, Strickland had a great performance last time out. There was nothing to suggest that he has scars from the Pereira fight. But it is an interesting note. It is an interesting note that we are yet to see someone come back from an Alex Pereira loss. Now, looking at the tail of the tape, Sean Strickland, the older fighter, 31 years old, comparatively to Nasadine, who's 27. Height advantage for Nasadine and a three centimeter or two and a half centimeter reach advantage for Strickland. Speaking of Strickland, let's get on to Tarzan's profile now. He's a 31-year-old American, and like Puna Soriano and Dan Ige and a few others on this card, Sean Strickland, also a member of the Extreme Couture Gym. Strickland is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, and the biggest strength, especially in a five-round contest for Sean Strickland, is that the man has cardio for days. He will not be phased by a 25-minute contest. Very interesting, given that Nasruddin Amavov, maybe he's had a five-round contest pre-UFC. I don't think he has. Big step up. Two extra rounds. And Strickland, we have seen a really good sample size, that the man can handle five rounds. He does not wilt under fatigue. 
cardio Strickland's biggest strength. So in a five round contest, that does hold a lot of weight. Now, Sean has a 12 and five UFC record. His five losses include the likes of Santiago Ponzinibbio, Kamaru Usman, Elizio Dos Santos at welterweight, and then of course, Cannonier and Pereira at middleweight. Overall, Sean Strickland's professional record stands at a very healthy 25 wins and five losses. Now, three of his five losses by decision, and he's also been knocked out twice, has Strickland. As far as his 25 wins, 10 knockouts, four submissions, 11 decisions. So mainly between knockout and decision for Strickland. On to Nasadine Amavov, and the French slash Russian mixed martial artist is 27 years old, training at MMA Factory under Fernand Lopez. Nasadine has a few different styles, really quality in the boxing, and a lot of the talk leading up to this fight, even when it was Kelvin Gastelum, is the wrestling of Nasadina Mavov. Has great wrestling, not that he leans on it too much or hasn't up to this point, but the wrestling of Nasadina Mavov could be a massive point of difference in this main event. And Mavov carries a 4-1 UFC record with his loss coming to the hands, or at the hands rather, of Phil Megatron Hawes. On to Nasadina Mavov's overall pro record, 12-3, two of three losses by decision. He's been submitted once, never been knocked out. So across 15 fights, Nasadine is yet to be stopped via knockout. As for his 12 wins, pretty varied across the board for Nasadine. Five knockout wins, four submissions, and three decisions. So stylistically, there's a ton of ways this can play out, but the Apex Five Rounders traditionally, we see them go the distance. First couple of rounds, just, you know, really work on the cardio, make sure that you don't tire out. And yeah, I, I see this one going the distance. I will say that stylistically, Sean Strickland worries me. He's got a fantastic jab, knows how to find his range pretty quickly as well. So if he can kind of get up in those first two rounds, massive advantage Strickland, given that you'd have to expect Sean Strickland to be a lot more primed for the championship rounds of four and five, more so than Nasadin Mavov, who is in his first UFC main event. Now, as far as the UFC rankings, we have a top 10 position at stake. Strickland ranked seventh, whilst Mavov is 12th. Big ballsy move from Strickland to jump straight in there and defend his position inside the top 10. But I guess, you know, Strickland wants to make moves. He wants to avenge that loss as quickly as possible. Can he do it? He has been eating pizza, drinking beer, enjoying himself in the off period. And now he's getting back in there to take on Nasadina Mavov, who's been training for this. He's primed and ready for five rounds. But we know, as I said, Strickland has cardio for days. So he's going to be up for a five-round contest. Very intrigued as to how this plays out. I see it going the distance. It's more so, who do I have winning? Well, I have Nasadina Mavov by decision. That was my original pick if he was to go up against Gastelum. And I, I'm denied about this. Like Strickland, especially after that Cannoneer fight, I was remembering how nervous I was betting against him. And I was like, do I really want to go through that again? Well, the answer is yes. I'm taking Nasadine and Mavov. 
Strickland, he's won me some money as well. Like when I have backed Strickland and put my money on him, I've been very happy with what I've seen. The only two times I've really gone against him in recent times was Pereira and Cannonier. And then the only other time was Brendan Allen, and that was fucking depressing. Sean Strickland, uh, yeah, well, Sean Strickland got the win there. So, main event, short notice, at light heavyweight. I'm taking Nasadina Mavov by decision. This one I'm not super confident about, given that I know what Sean Strickland can offer over five rounds, but he is coming off a break. He just fought. Then, in Sean Strickland's mind, He's got some time off. He's enjoying himself. All through this time that Strickland's enjoying himself, Nasadina Mavov is working his ass off, getting ready for what could be a five-round war against Kelvin Gastelum, who we've seen what Kelvin can do. He can take even the most elite, think Israel Adesanya, and push them to their limit. So Nasadina Mavov, in the time that Strickland has been enjoying himself, or maybe not enjoying himself and stewing over the Cannoneer loss. All of that time, Nasadin has been putting in the work. And for that reason, and a small reason, but that is my tipping point, I'm taking Nasadin and Mavov by decision. How it all plays out, fucks me. I don't know which rounds he wins and how he does it. But I am going to say at some point, I think wrestling can be the point of difference. And a fight that could be as close as the Cannoneer Strickland one, a couple of takedowns, some control, that could swing the judges in his favor. And for the reasons I just said, like he's been working his ass off while Strickland has had a bit of a break, very short break, but he's just gone through his fight camp. He's gone through his fight. There's definitely got to be a period of like, now's my window to like just fucking enjoy myself, maybe eat a burger, things like that. And small things like that, just they add up. And in a situation like this, where Mavov has been busting his ass, getting ready for this opportunity, I think he'll have enough. Now, the big question is how does he go over five rounds against someone like Sean Strickland, who is no stranger to going the full 25 minutes? But I think Nasadina Mavov, is he a future champion? I don't know, but I definitely think he has top 10 written all over him. I think this is the point where Nasadina Mavov begins to make moves so in our UFC Vegas 67 main event, the final fight of the night, I'm taking Nasadin and Mavov over Sean Strickland by decision. Now we've covered the whole card. Got amongst it. I can now go to this birthday dinner. Not too late as well. So everybody is a winner. And tomorrow I'm going to be back posting another podcast. What I'm going to do, if you haven't followed not just a sports report before, if you haven't heard about UFC thoughts and comments, well, tomorrow I'm going to be getting back amongst it. Thoughts and comments, I'm going to sit down and watch the card. And basically what thoughts and comments is, I watch the prelims portion. I come back, I'll give my thoughts on all the action from the prelims. And then the main card, we go fight by fight. Some thoughts before the fight, and then my raw live reactions immediately following the result. Got a bit of everything on thoughts and comments. So this preview, more about asking questions, throwing up potential situations, thoughts and comments. It's all about diving into the answers that we get to all of these questions. So tomorrow, within an hour of the card wrapping up, I'll be back covering the Vegas 67 card. Other than that, not much else to sink my teeth into right now. So 
I'll leave you with that. I'm going to go out, then I'm going to come back, have a nice, beautiful early sleep, and get up 7 a.m. tomorrow, Australian time, to fucking rip and tear and get amongst this card. So very excited, as I'm sure you can tell. I've put all my picks out there. Hopefully, we've backed some winners. And yeah, we'll be playing tomorrow, throwing some money around, being nervous, just like the Cannonair Strickland fight. I love it. All week, get hyped up, put some money on, stress out the highs and lows, the roller coasters. Holy fuck, am I going to be eating ramen noodles for the next two weeks? Let's find out. Thoughts and comments tomorrow. This has been UFC Vegas 67 preview and, of course, respectfully, predictions. That is it. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care. And, of course, do not forget to get amongst it this weekend. Going to be a great card. Thanks for listening and have a ripper 